0: hello and welcome to bible marathon we're all about learning how to read the bible about spiritual gifts and giving proper defense and explanation for what we believe as christians the goal is to progress with joy in the faith and without further ado let's get into the word
1: heavenly father in the name of the lord jesus christ father we glorify your name and we say thank you thank you for another sunday where we are gathered where we are all seated in our respective homes all over the world, whether in the US or in Nigeria or elsewhere. Lord, we just thank you for this fellowship of brethren, of family here on Bible Marathon. Some of us who are new and some of us who have known each other for a few years now through this group, Lord, we just thank you for this platform. And we say thank you where we have this hunger and passion to read your word and learn from it, to glean from it all the relevant material and instruction that will help to conform us more and more each day to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for BMG in 2023. We thank you for all the things we have touched on. Thank you for how you have guided us up to the very end of the year. But I also say thank you for this month where we have looked at church hurts. We have looked at the effect of church hurts and how it has affected us in every shape and form. And also how scripture gives us guidance and wisdom on how to navigate and find solutions and resolutions to that. Lord, we just pray that today as we learn and read your word again, we pray that you guide us, your spirit of grace and love will reveal to us the depths of your word and instruction that will help to change our hearts and renew our minds around this topic and how we can more and more purify ourselves to the image of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. We lift up your name and we say thank you, Father. Thank you for everybody listening to me. I pray that your words will speak through me and not my own wisdom or human strength, but your words of grace and love will echo from my mouth as I try to navigate this topic and through all my hearts. In Jesus' name we are prayed. Amen. Amen. So you guys know that we've been on the topic of church hurts throughout this month. And just as a quick recap, does anybody want to give us like what we've discussed the last three Sundays You know, in this topic this month in November? Anybody can go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Basically, please. just like the title says, we've been talking about church hurt, right? And in the first
2: week, we examined how like the different ways that we might um
1: we might have experienced church hurt, right? Both the ones that we were aware of and the ones that we weren't aware of. Right. In the second Sunday, we looked at the ways that we might have, you know contributed to other people's churches. Mm. And last week, which was the third Sunday, we kind of we went through the book of um First Corinthians chapter six to see how you know we're supposed to handle issues, right, in church. So when issues come up in church as believers, how are we supposed to go about it? Mm. So that was that's a summary of what we've learned so far. All right. Thank you for that, Rika, Victoria. Thank you very much. Um... So, yeah, we've, um, I like the way we've kind of started, you know, church hurts, how we've contributed, and then looking at 1 Corinthians 6. Um, this is a very, very, very important topic. It's a very important topic and a very sensitive topic because it touches so many aspects of a believer's life. And if you really think about it, at some point in our lives, every Christian is probably going to have an exposure to church hurt in some shape or form. Um, my mind goes back to the first Sunday when we started this series on PMG, and we're all sharing our experiences of church church. I, I even shared an experience as well, you know, of the church I used to attend and how I experienced church church. Um, and by the way, I'm going to try and make this as interactive as possible just because of the nature of the topic. So to start off, there is actually a few words I want to read to everybody. Um, that's why I just want to make sure that everybody can hear my voice clearly. So I'm going to be reading this from Google. Um, Yeah, so I found it. Just wanted to make sure I see the words. So listen very carefully to the words I'm about to read, and then I'll go into depth like how it relates to this topic and what our specific topic is today. So starting from the first line, this is what it says. When I was growing up, the church was a safe place. I didn't really understand the depths, but I would say the grace. I put my hands in the air. I would sing the songs the same way. They made me feel good about myself in a strange way. See, I've never really doubted God ever. Tough times came, but I knew they would get better. I used to blame him, that's God, for the violence and the wars. But then I realized that we do that to ourselves. It's a flaw." So basically, the person is talking about how he always grew up seeing the church as a very safe space for him and for anybody that wanted to like just find refuge. And then he talked about how growing up, he used to blame God for, the, for like the evil that was in the world. But then he realized that it's actually human beings that cause that evil, not God directly. So going on, he then talks about how, this next part I'm going to read, he talks about how he grew into the church. He joined the church and how his faith grew as well. I got baptized when I came out of the water. I felt like a new man. I recognized the trauma that I had been through from the day that I was born to the days that I was brought up. The stories, how they worked together. I just got to trust the author and I learned to. I learned to try and be a man of virtue. I was committed to the church because I knew they would never hurt you. So imagine my surprise when my pastor went to jail for abusing some of the guys. I was devastated because to the church I was so dedicated. It was meant to bring some light into this world of hatred. But we're shady and we need to go back to basics Some friends, they couldn't face it. And because of that, they left the faith because they lost patience. I started struggling and I couldn't put my mind to rest. Reading up on stories about some of the congregation being homeless and depressed. Meanwhile, the pastors are buying private jets. Paid by the very people trying to fight their way through debt. How is that going to earn respect? Friends are seeing tweets and texts. These are not the words that Jesus said. And this is not the reason Jesus bled. I'm trying to find some peace in bed. It's kind of like Ephesians says, I pray for wisdom and knowledge for all of the leaders left. So first off, I'm going to stop there and just, you know, I'm sure you guys can imagine. These are very, very heavy words. These are heavy, I would say very heavy, heartfelt words from somebody who obviously is a Christian and grew up in the church and just saw some things that really shook his faith. So if you're wondering, these are actually the lyrics to a psalm. So... I don't know if you guys know who Governor B is. Does anybody know who Governor B is? I'm just curious to see. Or if you've heard of his name. Okay, nobody. So um, he's actually a hip hop artist, he's a rapper. Okay, Victoria, yeah, that, that's fine. Um, so basically, he's a rapper who is based in the UK. So he's British. Um, he does Christian hip hop. And this is actually a song from one of his past albums. So he's basically talking about his experience growing up in the church and then how his pastor went to prison or went to jail for committing abuse against some of the church members and how that really shook his faith. And in fact, not just his faith, some people who were in the church as well with him, you know, he talks about how they lost patience and they ended up leaving the faith because of that incident. And then he was struggling, he was going through, he basically went through a lot, like this incident really, really shook him. Um, And it's quite clear that you could see he had a very close relationship with this pastor and because this pastor failed in his position and, you know, in his conduct as a believer, it really, really affected his faith. And this relates very much to the topic that we're talking about today because we're going to be talking about how to navigate hurtful situations and relationships. So if you're trying to write down the topic, it is how to navigate hurtful situations and relationships. You know, and, and that, those lyrics that he penned, that's a very hurtful situation that I found himself in because of the feelings of his pastor. And I've listened to the song many times. I, I found that song about two years ago. And the songs, every t- the song, every time I listen to the lyrics, it hits me very, very heavy because I've always thought, like, what would I do if I was in like shoes and that was the pastor of a church that I was a part of? You know, would it would it shake my faith that much? Would I even think of being my faith like that? You know, and maybe some of you who are listening, or who will eventually listen, you know, on the YouTube recording, maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you've been part of a church, or you've been part of a fellowship where the leader committed something similar to this, or maybe even committed worse than this, and it shook your faith, and you're like, "Well, you're supposed to be a man, you know, if a disciple of Christ, not making these mistakes or falling into this." And the truth I can tell you is that. Because we're human, yes, we're believers, we're in the family of God, we're grafted into the family of God through grace, we are being sanctified through Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is that because we're still in this fleshly human body, our tendency to sin or our propensity that might be a better word our propensity to sin is never really going to leave us on this side of eternity. That's because this flesh is weak. We're in this human flesh. We're bought with the blood of Christ, but we're still in this flesh, which is very, very fragile and has a tendency towards sin. You know. So I'm trying to, the way I've structured my notes for today, I've structured it in three parts. And the first part, which I'm addressing now, is what causes pain and breakdown in our relationships? So someone may be wondering, like, what would lead somebody, like the pastor that he referenced in the song, to go and commit something so awful like that. Like what would make him commit that? Because he's supposed to be a follower of Christ, a leader in Christ being conformed to the image of Christ, you know, through discipleship and all those things. You know, and there are many reasons, you know, it could be, if we're looking at it just from generally how we relate to one another within the church and even outside the church, human beings can disagree and have discord on a lot of issues. You know, it could just be a difference of opinion. It could be a difference of how we see um, things in the world, or how to go about things in the church. It could even be, um, if you're serving in church, you know, I can think of an example that happened to me recently, um, last month, that can create a situation like this, that where there's disagreement and there's disunity. Um, so I mentioned before that I serve on the media team in my church, which means I have to get to church very early to set up. Um, all the equipment and the media and things like that and there was one Sunday I came very very late and the other people on my workforce like people who I worked with in the church they were not happy with me at all the problem is that i had had a stressful week prior to that Sunday so I was not even personally I was not even in the mood at all to hear like criticism even though it was warranted because I was late to church I was very late to church but people were like "Ah, Ife, you have to be early now. Like, why are you coming late to church? Like, we need you here. So it got to the point where I was so frustrated that I actually, I more or less snapped at one of the fellow workers in our church team. And this is somebody who I'm very good friends with, even up to now. So I, I snapped at her. I kind of like had an outburst at her. Um, you know, you could say that, you know, yes, I was frustrated. But afterwards, I really had to think about it. And I was like, okay, I know was wrong. Um, I shouldn't have snapped at her. She didn't deserve that. So my mom was straight on like, how can I make it up to her? Like, how can I reconcile, you know, so that it won't affect our relationship long-term? I just went till after service. I went to her, like, you know, I said some things to you which were wrong and I apologized. I didn't mean it. I was stressed. I'd had a very tough week at work and it was bleeding into my spiritual life. And like, you know, I didn't mean to snap at you. Know, I, I genuinely told her, like, I'm sorry. And she forgave me. So the reason why I give that example is just to show you, like, it's very easy even for us as Christians to find ourselves in situations where re- the relationships with, with those that we love and we value can hit a bad patch. It happens. Human beings, well, we have bad days. You know, Christians are not immune from that. Um, so it can happen for a variety of reasons. The reason I've given in my own case that was stress. But if someone is going to ask me, like, what, why are human beings this way? The answer is actually in Genesis. You have to go back to the very beginning. So, I don't know if anybody is doing the scriptures for today. Um, Victor, if you could help with that, I would really appreciate that. I can pull up the scripture as well on my computer. Uh,
2: I'm not sharing scriptures. I can't share on my screen. I okay. Just yeah, to...
1: I, just, I just wanted to ask. I, I can pull it up as well. Okay. So, I want us to go, if, you're, if you have your Bible with you, that's even better. We're going to go to Genesis 3. Genesis three, verse one to thirteen. Genesis three, verse one to thirteen. I'm reading from. I don't want to use NKJV. Let me use NIV. Just for the sake of yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be reading from Genesis three, verse one. And this is a story that you know <laughs> we're all familiar with, but I'm, I want to point out something on how it relates to this topic. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the full of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, this is the key point, the woman you put here with me, She's the one that gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the man, what is this you have done? The man said, it was the serpent. He deceived me and I ate it. So I want to just stop there and, you know, I want to take a pause. And this, again, this is a story of the fall. Basically, this is the story of where the gospel and the whole reason for our faith starts from, It is from this story, because this is where the fall of humanity happened. But I want to ask you a question. Does anybody notice something significant about the relationship between the man and the woman post the fall. Anybody can respond. We're passing blame. we started passing blame. Thank you, Daphne. They were passing blame, right? In fact, the man started it by passing blame that, oh, is this woman that you gave me, I, I didn't ask for her, but you made her for me. She's the one that made me eat the tree, and that's what we felt. So you can see there's already, there's already we see the first signs of what I would call a breakdown in the relationship between the man and his wife you know and I want us to go I want us to take a, a step back a bit let's go to Genesis 2 from verse 15 to 17 there's a, there's I want to point out something and how the dynamic shifted Genesis 2 verse 15 15 17 this is just a chapter before this chapter that we just read So it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from the tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. I want to go beyond this verse. Or actually, I think it's a few verses back. From verse 15 to 17. So that's basically God telling the man, Don't eat from that tree, Um, otherwise you will surely die. Yes, verse 18, sorry. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds and the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds and the sky. But for Adam, that's the man, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman. So this is basically describing how the woman came into existence. He had taken out of the man and he brought it to the man. Now, this is a very interesting part. Look at verse 23. The man said of the woman, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and he unites his wife and they become one flesh. So you can see how the whole, when I read this, I was just like, what would make Adam go from this? Telling the woman that, oh, you're my bone of my flesh. I mean, you're my bone of my bones. You're my flesh my flesh. You're so beautiful. I'm going to call you a woman because you are taken out of my side. To now make him go and say that this woman is trouble. Though. She's the one that made us eat the fruit and that's why we hid from you. She brought all trouble. Like what, what would make Adam just do a complete 180 to a woman that he had professed all this love and admiration for, right? The answer, we just read the answer. It goes back to the fall. It's, it goes back to sin, entering humanity. And the reason why I picked out this story is because this is the reason why human relationships always have some kind of breakdown of suffering at some point in our lives. Because of our falling human states, even believers are not immune from having uh, moments of discord and disagreements. You know? And unfortunately, we see that immediately after the fall. We already see the first example of what it means to be in um, a hurtful situation with someone that you have a very intimate relationship. In this case, it was a romantic marital relationship between the man and his wife. You know, he's passing the blame on, whereas the instruction was actually given to him as the man who supposed to be the leader. You know, he passed on the blame to his wife. Which is very, very unfortunate, but um, this is where this is basically the source of every issue in the relation in like human relationships It's because of sin. Sin entered the world, sin has caused a fracture in creation, it has caused it has caused a fracture in the way human beings relate to one another, and it's not just marriage too, whether it's a child to a parent, whether it's between friends, or even what or even within the body of Christ, you even see throughout the Bible, you know, moments where human relationships really, really was suffering because of one fault of one party or the other, even sometimes the fault of both parties. You know, so I hope that makes sense, you know, why I started from that point, because that was the beginning of everything. So um, where I want to go from here, you know, again, going from my notes, this created the very first occurrence of discord and distrust between human beings. And there are many examples. You see from here, it just starts to deteriorate. you see moments with Noah, even though God chose Noah to save mankind, you see an issue that Noah had with his sons. You see the example of Abraham and Sarah, where Sarah told him like, oh, I'm too young to bear children. Going back to God's promise of them to have a child, you know, go and take my maidservant Hagar and sleep with her so that she can bear you children. It's just, and how that just created discord within that family dynamic, just a lot of chaotic situations in human relationships that was never part of God's rule. But again, because of the fall, we see how it created a lot of problems. Another example I want to look up, is, a, this, is a very, this is a very important example that stood out to me. This is between King Saul and David. So I'm going to go to 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. 1 Samuel, verse 16. I'll start from verse 14, go all the way to verse 20. So starting from verse 14, again, 1 Samuel 16. I know we don't have scriptures up, so I'm, that's why I'm repeating the verse so that you guys can follow. Um, if anybody can also type it in the chat so that guys can follow, that would be helpful. Um, so starting from verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil... Spirit comes from God. When, when the evil spirit from God comes to you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants said, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much. If you check the CSB translation of, of this, it actually says that Saul loved David very much. So you can even, so either so it's really love. Saul loved David very much. That's what the Hebrew actually says there. And David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying. Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre or his lyre and pray. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So I'm sure you guys are reading this and you're like, a lot is happening here. Like, an evil spirit (laughs) is coming on Saul, and then Saul is like, I need music to make me feel better. And then he sends for David. The key thing to note here is that where it says Saul liked him very much, if I read my CSV translation, it says that Saul loves David and he made David stay with him afterwards. And this is in um, chapter 16. And I believe this is after you know Samuel had anointed David. So God knew that David was going to succeed Saul as king. We see that from there, David fights Goliath, slays Goliath, and he becomes one of Saul's most trusted um, right-hand men. So you can see the bonds that is between Saul and David. And if you read the rest of 1 Samuel, you notice that you hear more of the relationship between Saul and David than you hear of David with his actual biological father, you know Jesse. In fact, dare I say that the Bible hints to us throughout like this book, that the relationship between David and Jesse wasn't a particularly close one. You, know, you, you see a hint of it when Samuel was looking for um, the son of Jesse that God told him to anoint as the next king. You know, Jesse was calling his eldest son, but God told Samuel that, no, that's not the one. He now brought his seven sons and, and just said, that these are my seven sons. Is there any of these ones? And Samuel was like, no. And, and Samuel was like, is there one son that is not there? And Jesse says that, oh, yes, the youngest, you know, basically I forgot about that one. He's watching the sheep. And Jesse was like, bring him. That's the one that God has chosen to be anointed king. So you see from there that David, where David didn't seem to find much favor within his family, he found favor with Saul, and that's why it says that Saul loved him very much. Saul brought him into his household. You could basically say that Saul mentored him and was, a, and was like a father figure to him. And even the rest of Saul's family, like his children, Jonathan loved David as well. So we, we see that here very much through this book, First Samuel. But then at some point, the relationship between Saul and David turns very sour. And I want to go to First Samuel. Let's go to chapters ahead that show this. First Samuel. Chapter 5, verse 9. By the way, I hope I'm not going too fast. Please let me know. But I'm trying to go point by point. So this basically shows where Saul's um, relationship with David shifted, more or less. And this is shortly after David had killed Goliath. So starting from verse 5, whatever mission Saul sent him on, that's David. David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank within his army. Again, going back to how Saul trusted David. This pleased all the truth, and it pleased Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul, with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he, he thoughts. But me with only thousands, what more can he get but the kingdom? So you can already see that Saul's mind is becoming he's basically struggling with he has this paranoia that ah, from what they're praising David, though, this this small boy that I brought into my palace and raised him like my own child. Why are they lifting him above myself? That's basically where Saul's heart. Saul's heart was shifting towards envy and jealousy. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on. Saul kept a close eye on David. Honestly, that verse now where it says he kept a close eye on David, it would have made sense for the author to write that from that time on, Saul's relationship with David broke down and his love for David turns to jealousy and envy. It could have been an appropriate verse because if you read the following chapters on you know, how Saul was trying to kill David many times, it's it, it's it's so sad because apart from Saul having a very false notion that, oh, David is after his throne, just, I want you guys to just think about how David must have felt. Like, put yourself in David's shoes, right? You're, you're a young boy at this time. We can assume that David was very young. You know, you're looking for men in your life that you can look up to, that you can model yourself, your model yourself after, like men of God. We've already seen that it's very, very likely that as the last child, his relationship with his father Jesse wasn't a very close one. And then Saul, the king, or oh King Saul, is the king of all Israel. There's no more, There's no man in the kingdom that's more powerful than Saul. Saul brings you in. Saul It's clear that Saul loves you like another son of his. And then all of a sudden, he's trying to kill you. It actually says in the following chapter that Saul tried throwing his spear at David like once, two or three different times and that David had to flee. On one occasion, Jonathan, which is Saul's son and David's close friend, Jonathan had to protect David and save his life. David fled into the wilderness. We see many, many examples of David fleeing into caves, running for his life because the man who he thought should protect him and, you know, be there for him and look after him, he's trying to kill him. You know, it's it's, it's just so sad. And then you see eventually what happens to Saul. He dies and everything. So yeah. Um, So basically at this point, I've described the different reasons that can cause a breakdown in like the relationships we have with those in our lives. We've seen that the source is really the fall, the fall of man in Genesis. The fall of man in Genesis brought so many vices into our character, into our integrity, like envy, jealousy, greed, competition. You know, you could say an issue of competition was also there in the example of King Saul and David, right? So we've, we've talked about the problem, right? Our focusing on the problem, and I'm sure you're asking, like, okay, now we know the issue. Why is it important that we rectify these issues even within the church? Is there a reason why we shouldn't have disunity in the body of Christ? You know, I've actually heard someone ask me like, oh, can I not be a Lone Ranger as a Christian? Why do I need to depend on people? And why should my relationships with them be restored if we're having troubles or we're having beef? Because someone can tell that, oh, friends beef all the time. Even in people in church, we beef all the time. We have disagreements all the time. So, but I'm going to show to you that reconciliation matters very, it's, it's, it's so important to God. The idea of reconciliation and forgiveness is so, so important to God. And not is important to God, it is fundamental to the gospel. You know, the concept of grace, grace by faith, righteousness, those are fundamentals as well. But reconciliation is also a fundamental aspect of the gospel. And you're going to see now, I'm going to talk about now why it matters in this context. So if somebody should ask you, why is it important for us to pursue reconciliation between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ? I'm going to give you one major reason, and this is the first reason. It's because God Himself, God our Father, who grafted us back to Him through righteousness, God Himself first took a step of reconciliation. So I'm going to go to Romans now. We're entering the epistles. Okay. Um, um, for some reason, my Bible app is not open. Please, can someone pull up Romans five, verse ten to eleven? I don't know why my. Okay, I think I have it now. I apologize for that, guys. My, I was, I was using the Bible Gateway. It wasn't So Romans 5, 10 to eleven. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we see that um, Paul is explaining how the idea of reconciliation is a byproduct of the gospel, Christ dying, Christ saving us and granting us eternal life has also helped us to have reconciliation with God, because it says we were once enemy of God. We were once God's enemies. How are we once God's enemies? Again, we go back to the point because of sin. The sin of man made us at odds with God's righteousness and goodness. Um, Another scripture I want to go over is 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5 It's talking about the same thing, but I just want us to um, look at these scriptures that focus on the idea of reconciliation. So if you're new to the Bible Marathon, I mean, the name tells you. We like the Bible a lot. We're always opening scripture. All right, so 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. All this is from God. Reconciled us. You see that word reconcile again? Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So again, Romans talked about how we were enemies with God because of our sin. And then he talks about how reconciliation freed us. Again, Paul is repeating the same thing to a different church in Corinthians. He's no longer counting our sins against us. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Romans, he said that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's basically saying the same thing again in Second, in second Corinthians. He has given us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now we've seen seen the word reconciliation crop up at least like five or six times in two different scriptures. And if you go to, if you were to check like your lexicon or your blue letter Bible, for example, that word reconciliation in the original Greek more specifically means being restored or recovering the favor of God, right? And you can see already how that makes sense Through the gospel, God has helped us recover favor with him, favor which we lacked because we're enemies with Christ because of our sin. Christ has helped us to restore that favor with God the Father. You know, and one thing about Christ is that Christ is our example, he's our model. You know, we see it in Philippians where Paul talks about, you know, um, have the same mindset as our Lord Jesus Christ is, who being in the very image of God didn't consider it Robbery to be equal with God. Paul talks about how Christ is our model. Then in First Corinthians, Paul talks about how the Corinthians should imitate him as he imitates Christ. So you see, you see those examples of Christ being the model that we should imitate. We should follow his example. We should follow his example. You know this idea of imitation, and it applies here to the idea of reconciliation. If God first reconciles us back to Himself, it only makes sense that we as believers should follow that same model of being reconciled to others that we have disagreements with, right? It is God's will that the church be reconciled to one another, right? It's not a choice, right? You have no choice to say, um, oh, I can be, how how will I put it? You don't have a choice to say like, oh, I can be reconciled to this person or I can be cool with this person in church, but this person, I'm just going to ignore them. I'm not, I'm not going to settle any debts or disagreements I have with them. No, that's not true. The scriptures say that we have to be, reconciled with one another. Like you have to be reconciled with each other just as Christ has reconciled us to himself, to to God the Father. I hope I'm making sense. I hope I'm not losing anybody, but um yeah. yeah. Sorry? Yeah, you're making sense. Okay, good. Thank you, Victoria. Um and then you look at an example like Matthew 5 14 where it says and this was Jesus speaking, you know, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That word perfect in the Greek again is referring to being excellent in your virtue and integrity of your character. As a believer, your character should be a model that reflects the goodness and the love of God through Christ. And that links back to the whole idea of reconciliation. Because Christ wants us to be perfect in our character, and again, by perfect, it's not saying that you will never make a mistake. That's not what the word perfect means. It means being full of virtue and integrity in one's character. It is God's desire that our character reflects the excellence of his character, that's Christ. Christ wants our character to reflect the love and goodness of the father. And that's why we should always seek reconciliation with one another. Having any disagreements and finding a resolution is very, very important as a member of the body of Christ. You know, think back to the example I gave a few minutes ago between myself and my friend who both serve in our church. No one needed to tell me that, Oh. If I, you should go and apologize to her and seek reconciliation for that. No, like my heart, the spirit was ministering to my heart that because the body of Christ is meant to be one, you need to go and own up to your mistake and apologize to her and keep your relationship intact. There I say that one of the reasons why many churches have failed, you know, unfortunately is because many of the relationships within the church were not kept intact. I, re- I strongly believe that that's the reason why many churches have not been able to succeed in their ministry because many of the relationships crumbled, not just within the pastoral units, but just within the congregation, with amongst, amongst the flock. Many of the relationships crumbled as a result because there was no eagerness to keep relationships intact. There was no eagerness to find um, common ground and seek reconciliation with one another. I know time is going. I'm just trying to go through my... Okay, I think I'm at a good time. So that's that's the first reason I'm, again, the reason why we seek reconciliation is because God himself set us that example by reconciling us back to him through Christ and his death. Another reason is somewhat related. It is because it is God's desire that the church be at peace with one another. So I'm going to go through a bunch of scriptures here. Romans 12, verse 18. Romans 12. Hi, guys. Can Can you guys still hear me? And we but can. Move. Before. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Ah, this is the wrong yes. time for my for my internet to be acting up. I I, I apologize, guys. I, I don't know why my internet is acting up today of all days. All right. All right. Okay. The scripture is loaded. So Romans 12, 18. There are three scriptures I want to read in terms of um God wants us to be at peace with one another. So this is the first one. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So this is Paul writing to the church in Rome. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So again, remember what I said a few minutes ago. God doesn't want us to be at peace with just a clique or a certain group or even just the pastor. He says everybody in the church, you should strive to be at peace with them. As much as it depends on you, if possible, pursue peace with every believer in, in the church. And it's not just your local church, but even other churches outside your local church, the body of Christ in general. Um, the next scripture I want to read is 2 Corinthians 13, 13 11. And this is when, and this is actually where Paul is concluding this letter. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration. Is you can see it's very similar. That word restoration is similar to the word reconciliation, which we described earlier. Encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So restoration, encouragement. And then striving to live in peace with one another so that God's love will abide with us. Then the final scripture I want to read under this point is First Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5:13. I'll start from verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, one, those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak and be patient with everyone. So we've seen three different epistles, but the same principle, the same instruction that Paul is giving to the church, right? We've seen, we see the idea of love proper, we see the idea of restoration, but most of all, we see the idea of peace coming up over and over again, hold them in highest regard in love because of their work, live in peace with each other, right? Um, and this is instructing us that in the body of Christ, there's no, there's no room for competition. There's no room for jealousy or envy. We have to seek the best for one another. We have to serve each other, edify each other. Um, edification comes to the church when we live in peace and harmony with one another. And there's no envy or competition involved. Right? So just to recap this section of the message that I've touched on, I've looked at it from the perspective of why should we seek reconciliation always within the body? is because God again sets us the example of reconciliation through Christ and the gospel, and also because it is his desire that the church live in peace with one another. So just in case you're taking notes. Now to the most important part, and this is the part I really want to become very practical. You're probably asking like, okay, fair, uh, we've talked about the source, we've talked about the why, but what is the how? How can I, if I've never had conflict with anybody in my church, and then we have a disagreement? What steps can I do to ensure that our relationship is not broken, that the pain doesn't last, that there's no lasting damage from it? Um, And this is where I want to get very practical. So there's really no, what I would say is that there's no perfect formula for doing so, but there are certain steps that we can take using the wisdom of the spirit to guide us. So if you're going to type to this section, you can say, what steps or action points can we take to navigate hurtful situations that can arise in our relationships with people within our church and within the view of Christ. So the first one I would say is recognize, this is a very important one, and this is one that I, I, I kind of so struggle with myself. Recognize each other's shortcomings and flaws. Very important. Recognize each other's shortcomings and flaws. And the scripture I want to read, is a very popular scripture, but it basically sums up how this point relates to the topic, recognize each other's shortcomings and flaws. Romans 3.23, if I had me just saying the script, I'm sure you guys already know what it says, and you probably just shout it out if I was to say, like, what does it say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you were to look up the Greek of that word sin, it just simply means to violate or stray from God's law. Um, some lexi- some lexicons show that the word sin can also mean to miss the mark, to miss the mark, to stray away from God's law, right? And in the context of the gospel, obviously it refers to the law that God set in terms of righteousness and holiness. We've, we've like if if you you know bring your faith, we already know that, and we've taught that many times on DMG. That the the need for the gospel was obviously. The helpless state of mankind, us straying away from God's law, put us in a helpless state, not just with God, but with one another, and then God intervening to pull us out of that helpless state. But it also pertains to our relationship with one another because it shows that every human being has fallen short. Every human being has missed the mark. I've missed the mark in many ways. Everybody that is listening here has missed the mark. And that's why all of us have shortcomings and flaws and we need to recognize those shortcomings and flaws because what it will do is that it will help us realize that when difficulties and troubles arise in our relationship with one another, there is a genuine reason. Again, it may not excuse the person's actions per se, but it will help to foster understanding as to why people make mistakes like this, even with the church all the time. You know, we can go back to the lyrics of the song I was reading to earlier. If you, um, in fact, let me go back to those lyrics. Because Governor B was saying that he used to blame God for the violence of the wars, the wars. But then when he thought about it, he realized that no, human beings, we do that to ourselves. It is a flaw, right? So he had come to an understanding that human beings are actually the, we're actually the ones who are flawed and causing all the violence, not God directly. Yes, God made us in his image, but because of our brokenness again, We are the ones who bring all the wahala and issues into our respective relationships. So the first thing, again, humanize each other, recognize each other's shortcomings and flaws. And I'll even say this, even with your parents as well, you know, your parents who are believers like myself and I recognize that they are human so that when they make mistakes, you won't hold it against them. And that envy will not become a seed that will lead to something much worse down. So that's the second thing. Number two, pray. Go to God in prayer and ask him for wisdom and how to handle the situation. And I want to go to Matthew 6 here. Matthew 6 from verse, I think I'll go from verse 5. Matthew 6 from verse 5. So here we see um, Jesus teaching the, those listening to him um, about the Lord's prayer. I believe this is a chapter after he gives the Sermon on the Mount. So starting from verse 5, this is Jesus speaking. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees you and sees what has done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for the fa- your father knows what you need before you ask him. Then he now goes into the model of the prayer. This is then how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, (laughs) I want to share a funny story. I'll be very honest with you guys. When I was growing up as a child in the church, and we used to recite, forgive us our debts as you have forgiven us our debtors. I kid you guys not, I used to think it was referring to financial debts. I don't know if anybody had the same thought. Maybe you would read this and you'd be like, oh, God wants us to forgive them our <laughs> I fin- I, I financial debts. Those who are owing us money, just forgive them and <laughs> overlook the debt. So, but, but if you read the context of the passage, that's not what um, Jesus is referring to. He's referring to more so a, sp- a moral debt, a spiritual debt, like those who have wronged us. You know, And this is how it relates back to having disagreements. Those who, If anybody has wronged you, ask God to help you forgive them. Ask God to give you that heart of forgiveness. If you're the one that is the offending party, pray that God will help the person come to a place where they can forgive and reconcile with you because it's very, very important, right? Unforgiveness is not something that should be a mark that is hanging over us as Christians. It's not God's will for us as, as, um, as believers, as children of God. And another scripture that supports this is first John verse 5 to 14. Well first John verse 5 14. So first John, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and if we know what he hear that he hears us sorry, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we know that we have what we asked of him. So again he's saying that whatever is in accordance with God's will he will give it to you if it is in accordance with His will, right? So if you juxtaposes this word we read in Matthew 6, you know, Christ is teaching us the model love. like, when you pray, ask, ask God to give you that heart for forgiveness and to forgive those who have wronged you. It is God's will that forgiveness and reconciliation should happen between us and other brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's the second point. Recognize each other's shortcomings was the first one. Pray, pray, heartfelt prayer, and it has to be a heartfelt prayer because you see Jesus mentioning it in the verses above. Go into your room, go to your father in secret and pray. Bear your heart before him. You know, we see the Psalm is talked about, verse 51, that the sacrifice that, a God, that God desires is a broken and contrite heart. God wants to see your heart open before him whenever you're dealing with a painful situation, you know, because us being in pain matters to God a lot. He's our father. It it pains God when we are in pain. I don't know if you guys realize this, it aches God's heart to see us suffering and to see us in pain because of the actions of another person. So praying that prayer and asking God for wisdom and how to handle the situation is very important. Then the third one, this is a very difficult one. Have a heart-to-heart dialogue with the person. I'm going to go to Matthew 18 for this one. Matthew 18 from verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, this is Matthew 18, verse 15. Again, if anybody's writing this down. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their faults just between the two of you. So note that just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of, of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, Tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So I hope you guys can see the pattern here. You see the buildup. If there's a fault and one of your brothers or sisters in Christ should sin or commit an offense against you, Jesus is telling you, go to them in private and talk to them. Have a heart to heart to them. You know, and this is very important because we're all meant to be a family. We're all a family. All of us that are here on BMG, we're a family. We talk about this all the time. Wouldn't it be such a beautiful thing if we could get to a point where if we have a grievance with anybody, even with Pastor Ernest, for example, we can go see him and say like, hey, P, I want to discuss this matter with you. Um, I know it's very personal, but I, I trust you and love you enough that I want to share with you what I think of something you did, you know, at so, so, so time. You know, that that level of transparency and vulnerability is a prayer that I personally pray that we all get to as as a church and, you know, even on BMG. And I know it, it's not easy. It can take time. It can take a lot of like um, transparency and maybe even training to an extent, but it's something that we should all strive for where we can get to a point like no matter who I have a grievance with, you know, on this call right now, whether it's praise or Daphne, I can go to them in confidence. and know that because their heart is in the right place, I can entrust them with this concern I have with, Maybe they did something to me at such a point. A, lo- a lot of people, one of the reasons why I feel like church hurt is so prevalent, many Christians don't have that level of, level of transparency yet with one another. I, I generally believe that that's why church hurt is such a problem and why relationships break down. We don't have that trust and that confidence to be transparent with each other once one of us has committed a wrong. And the reason, and the only way that can grow is if we build relationships with one another, we have to build relationships, genuine relationships with each other, be genuinely curious and care about one another and each of our lives. And this is something we preach on BMG all the time. We've had accountability structures. We've talked about um, reaching out to people, praying for them. You know, it's, it's very, very important. And this point shows why it's very important. Then the fourth point, and this is where the action actually you know, takes place. Forgive and reconcile with one another. We've talked about why we need to reconcile you know, earlier. Now we're going to talk about how you actually forgive and reconcile. So I'm going to go back to Matthew 6 again. Matthew 6, verse 14 to 15. I know I'm running out of time, so I'm almost done. I'm going to round up soon. For if you forgive other people, this is Matthew 6:14. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive you your, your sins. So that's Matthew 6, 14 to 15. Then Colossians, I want to go to Colossians 3. Still in relation to that point. Colossians 3:12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance i talked about this just now if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you right so you so you see i I love the fact that all these scriptures are basically repeating points that we've hit on over and over again if any of you have a grievance forgive just as the lord forgave, forgave us right we talked about reconciliation we have to reconcile one another again because Christ has helped us to be reconciled with God. God took the first step as an example. So we have to follow in that mode, right? So we see that we have to forgive each other even when we have grievances. Then the fifth one, and this is where I'm going to close my point of, of how to reconcile one another. This is the fifth point. Make a resolution to walk in love with each other and everyone else. We've talked about this on BMG many times. I know that's something that Pastor Ernest has stressed over and over again. One of the ways to know a healthy church or a healthy group of believers is by the. I repeat that again. One of the ways to know that a church is healthy and is strong, is spiritually strong and healthy, is by their love walk. You know, and you read 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. Paul basically set out a model where what love in the church should look like, what a love walk should look like. Love is patience. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Basically, all the vices that we've talked about today, love is telling you, do the opposite. Don't follow it. Do the opposite. That's basically what the love walk of a believer should be. It's, t- it's basically telling you like, all the things that have led to relationships, you know, our interactions with other believers breaking down. Just do the opposites. Put others first before yourself. Don't be envious. Don't boast. You know, Always rejoice in the truth of God, that, fam- that famous chapter. Then Colossians, still sticking with Colossians, if you go to verse 14, it continues that in that same vein. And over all these virtues, put on love. I have to repeat that again. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ, you see that word peace coming up again. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. So that's my last point. Um, Before I round up, I just want to mention the point again. How can we heal and reconcile with each other in our broken relationships? Recognize each other's shortcomings and flaws. Because of our sin nature, going back to the fall, that shortcoming, that that propensity to have flaws and to do sin is in us, even though we are being sanctified. Pray and ask God for wisdom and how to handle the situation. The third point, have a heart-to-heart dialogue with the person. Reach out to the person. Genuinely tell them that, you know, I want to have a heart to heart conversation with you. And if necessary, you know, scripture gives us um, a model of how we can confront them if it comes to that. Forgive and reconcile one another and then make a resolution, like make a resolve between you that we're going to show genuine love and walk in love with each other and everyone else. And to round this up, I want to go back again to the song I was reading at the beginning by Governor B. So I didn't finish the whole song. I basically stopped at where he talked about how the church. Was flawed. His pastor let him down, but then you now see where he started to change his mind, right? So I'm going to read out these lyrics. This is a continuation from where I stopped. But lately, I've been looking at my own life, all my weaknesses and my struggles. They seem to hold tight. I call myself a Christian. Go figure. I guess looking at the church is kind of like looking in the mirror. It's a reflection. Because it's not just a building, it's the people. We're the ones that make the same mistakes again. It ain't the steeple. The steeple is referring to the church building. I'm just wondering if I played my part in this evil. So he's saying that I think I had a part to play in all the sin and the mistakes that happen in the church. I know we've all got different sins. We're fighting demons to the sequel. And I'm, I'm a hypocrite. Made some mistakes. I have to live with it. Praying for forgiveness every day. There's something different. It's playing on my mind. Because there were times I used to find all the faults in someone else when I was struggling with them myself. So he's saying that all the same faults I was pointing out in people, I realized that I'm having the same issues too. So I'm part of the problem. I've got to change my ways. Looking at this world, I think there's a space for faith. So you can see his mind has shifted from blaming the church to actually realizing that, no, I'm part of the problem. And then he now talks about where the church has been the solution. It helps me on my wayward days but it's time I raise the stakes. I'm trying to practice what I preach, being a man of my word. I try harder to become a better person and you can hate it if you want to. But I realized the other day that even in the clubs, there's people in the world, there are hypocrites there as well. And people still go back to party. So I go back to the church because I believe in what God has started. He brought me out of the darkness. I'm committed when times are hardest, why? Because it was my church that prayed for me when I lost my father in an instant. So you can see the church is demonstrating its love work. He said that when his father died, it was the church that was there for him. The church gave me sight when I didn't have any vision. The church gave me songs to sing when my mind was stuck in a prison. I would sing them so loud and feel freedom entering my system. I saw my church feeding the homeless and giving them service I've seen them take kids off the street and give them a purpose. I've seen them give them a home to the nation so that they can worship. I've seen the church see past my flaws. I'm so undeserving. There's many pros, but there's many flaws. The good, the bad, the ugly. I'm ready for it. And everyone, this is the church till so they go to a funeral, a wedding, or a christening they need a venue for. There's cons, but there's many pros too. The church is not just a safe place. It's the home and the family I belong to. So I know I was reading it very fast, but these are some of the most beautiful lyrics I've read in terms of a Christian giving their perspective on church hurts, blaming the church, saying that oh the church had flaws, but then he's now listing all the good things that the church had done in his life and in the life of other believers. I'm going to conclude that by saying that this is what the love work of the church should look like. Any church that is following the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what your love work should be. No matter the mistakes that you made, this is how we are meant to be there not just for believers but even people in the world this is, this is what our love work should reflect if our love work reflected this, I promise you church hurts will become less and less its occurrence will become less and less all the issues that I've seen churches and ministries fall to very very terrible you know occurrences if we reflected this, it wouldn't it wouldn't be so common but yeah um I'll stop there and I'll just quickly close this house in prayer because I know we're out of time. Father, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you, Father, for the example you've given of yourself. And even through scripture, Lord, we've seen that it is your desire that every one of your children, your sons and daughters, live in love, peace, and harmony with one another. Father, we know that there's chaos in the world. There's chaos amongst the unbelievers. But because of the model of reconciliation and forgiveness and repentance that you have laid through the gospel, through our Lord Jesus Christ, how you've set that example for us as your children, Lord, help us to walk daily in that same model. Father, I pray for anybody who listened to the words of my voice, who listened to the examples and the teachings that we went through scripture. Father, I pray for anybody struggling with pain or sorrow or with broken relationships that have not healed. Father, I pray that my words which I spoke will provide a source of healing and direction for them in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we just lift up your name. We thank you for the community we have here at BMG. Father, I pray for each and every member of us that our relationships and our love work with, with, with each other will only grow from strength to strength as we enter 2024 in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, where there's broken and unhealed um, relationships with each other, bring healing. Father, let your spirit of healing and of grace touch each of our hearts. Give us a heart of repentance, Father. Give us a heart of forgiveness and reconciliation so that we can reach out to each other and show that we are there for each other, we love each other, and we are genuinely, Invested in our spiritual growth, in our happiness, in our mental and emotional states. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the model of Christ. Thank you for the example of your son Jesus and how he is an example to us each and every day. For in Jesus' name I have prayed. Amen. 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 Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really great time. And I like I like what you did with that song. How you started and it was like, oh, like you know, dreamy and droopy. I don't know how they say that thing, but then you brought it back again at the end, and that was that Stella. Thank you so much, and I think we learned so much. And thank you, Priest, for also putting some of the notes in the chat. I know it's it seems like we've just hammered on this topic a lot, um, but I think it's very helpful and useful to reflect on because, um we all experience church hurt. we give people the experience of church hurt, and um the the solution just as if has said is you know showing them showing each other love by recognizing how we are flawed in different ways and then having a the heart to reconcile um because i think that's the hardest part humbling yourself and Realizing that, yes, the only way to resolve and reconcile this uh, situation is to be humble, which is exactly what Jesus did as a, as our example. He had no reason to do what he did, yet he took on flesh, suffered the pain of death for us. So there's nothing anyone can do to you that should alienate you from them. Um, powerful, powerful thoughts. So, thank you again. I want you guys to unmute yourselves just like we do here again and um, say thank you to Ife for the sacrifice. He had thank to run you, it-
1: Thank you, love flows from Ife. <laughs> thank you, Ife. By thank, anyway, you, that- thank you, Ife.
2: You're very welcome, guys. way, that's his Instagram. Love flows from Ife. So apt, right? You know, there's a lot of love from him. So, um, and yeah, you can follow him. He has amazing stuff he posts. There's this one viral post you know, yes, he does. And I think it's it's very encouraging. It's one of the things I really want people to do on their platforms. When you have any platform, use it for the gospel. Use it to encourage someone who will need it one day. And the fact that it can be there timelessly is a beautiful thing. Okay, so let's let's take advantage of all the platforms we have. All right, I think we are good. Let me pray, and then we'll be out of here. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your. Word and thank you for teaching us today. We pray that we will walk in the light of your word, in the light of your truth. Um, we will not inflict hurt on people. And if we do, help us, oh Lord, to be quick, to turn away and to repent from those attitudes. And if we're hurt, help us to be forgiving, help us to stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ, in the love of God as He has revealed it to us in Jesus. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen.
2: Thank you for your awesome time. Thank you everyone for showing up. Have a beautiful week ahead. Okay. Some of you are fasting. Make sure you don't forget.
0: Thank you. Hey there. So we've come to the end of this teaching session and we hope it was for you a teaching and an enlightening moment. We have so many other topics on our podcast that range from spiritual gifts to charisma to interpreting the Bible world well, and so many others. If you'd like to listen to any one of them, just look through our podcast catalog and find the topic that you'd love to learn. If you'd like to join us Sunday live on Mixlr or on Zoom, all you need to do is go to our website, which is bit.ly forward slash live 4 That's the number. For, or you can look in the description and you will find the link to the website there we hope you have a blessed week and continue to grow and progress with joy in your faith